Hey, Last Looks crew. Welcome to season eight. What? I know. What is happening? (laughs) Who knew this would go on for as long as it has, and who knows how long it will go on for? Well, not me. (laughs) Thanks for sticking around with me on this little adventure, and to those joining the Last Looks crew for the first time today, welcome. White Boy Rick, True Detective, Queen and Slim, Lovecraft Country, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody, The Changeling, and the second season of Our Flag Means Death are all projects our guest today has worked on. He is hairstylist Brian Bardi. Brian shares his experiences working on film sets, from creating believable wigs to overcoming challenges and biases in the industry. You'll learn about his techniques for achieving natural-looking hairstyles and the importance of constantly learning and pushing boundaries. Brian also discusses the thrill of working on diverse projects such as Girls Trip and my favourite, Lovecraft Country, and his aspirations for future endeavours. With his keen eye for detail and knack of creating stunning looks, Brian has become a sought-after hairstylist in the world of film, and today we get to hear all about his journey. So, if you were a smart cookie, you would have joined Peter Swords King and myself to this weekend, Just Been, for his live Q&A, where he answered all your awesome questions. I loved your questions, and I loved his answers, and I took away some valuable insights myself. Our next live Q&A is one not to be missed. It will be with Mark Coolier. Now Mark is a specialty makeup master. He has won Oscars and BAFTAs and he has worked on some of the biggest blockbuster films ever made, including Poor Things, Elvis, Pinocchio and the Grand Budapest Hotel. Do yourself a favour, support the podcast, buy a ticket, submit your questions and don't miss out on this opportunity to hear from an artist at the top of the game. Link is in the show notes, link is on the website, and link is in the bio on Instagram. Use discount code EARLYBIRD, all one word, EARLYBIRD. Oh, and something to look out for, sometime this month I will be posting on social media the first shortcut of making a scene with last looks. It is something I've been thinking about for the last year and I finally recorded my first one with the help of Sarah Rabano, Kevin Wozner and Jason Doherty about their stunning work on the film X. Not to be missed. And once you watch it, be sure to let me know what you think. I had to learn how to edit, so don't judge too harshly. (laughs) Anywho, enough of me chit-chatting up a storm. Let's kick into it. My name is Jamie Lee, a film hairstylist from Aotearoa, New Zealand, now living in LA, and this is The Last Looks Podcast, a show where I catch up with makeup artists and hairstylists working in the TV and film industries around the world. And today, we are chatting with hairstylist Brian Bardi. On with the show. And now, a word from our sponsor. 
John Blake's wigs and facial hair has been providing the highest quality wigs and facial hair to the film, television, and live theater industries for 15 years. Our human hair wigs are low density and hand tied on Swiss lace to give the most realistic and natural appearance that is undetectable in HD and 4K content. This small, family-owned company has grown to fill a vital role to artists across the globe. We provide an unparalleled customer service experience that is rare in today's retail market. Our facial hair pieces come in 17 different styles and colors that are designed to precisely mimic natural growth and coloring patterns. They are made from blending human and yak hair in order to create the most realistic texture and appearance of men's facial hair growth. We are grateful to be celebrating 15 years of being an industry leader and a vital part of your artistry. And now, our feature presentation. Picture up. Last looks. Rolling. And action. Welcome to the Last Looks podcast, Brian. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Um, okay, so this is where our story begins. I want you to finish the sentence for me, okay? Okay. Once upon a time, there was a little boy named Brian, and when he grew up, he wanted to be... Believe it or not, a dancer. I believe it. <laughs> I believe everything I hear when I ask that question. Okay. That's awesome. So what do you think first kind of made that idea pop into little Brian's mind? I feel like dancing was my number one born talent. That's mm -hmm. the one thing that I felt it was a gift given to me that I was a dancer. So that's all I knew as a kid is I wanted to dance. But in my day, dancing, and especially from the South, I'm from New Orleans, mm -hmm. is not, you know, considered the average wish list for a profession for a young boy. Yeah. Yeah. So were you able to go to dance classes or anything like that as a kid? I did. I start, but I started really late. Mm. I started in college, actually, and managed to become professional about four years later. And I did that for a minute, about, I guess, three or four years, and realized that it wasn't something I wanted to do for the rest of my life strategically, Mm. Just for like money and how much time you put into it. Mm. And I just had that, that sort of crossroad moment in my life to where what do I do with the rest of my life to make enough money to sustain the type of lifestyle that I want to live as well as something artistic that I would like to do and have fun because I always knew I was not a office guy or nine mm. to fiver. Yeah. And then... I had a light bulb moment one day and it was beauty school okay. and here I am. <laughs> That's awesome. What kind of dancing were you doing professionally? I was mostly jazz, but I was proficient in jazz ballet. Well, at the time it was hip hop and break dancing and all that sort of things. But back in my day, the average gig was jazz. Okay. That's awesome. So, okay. So are you dancing and going to beauty school at the same time? Like, or did you just completely quit one and jump into the other? Yeah, I completely quit dancing about 20, what, 23 or 24. 
Mm. And I know it more by years. It was 1989 is when I began more professional dance. And I quit dancing in 1992. Okay. And then I got in beauty school in 1994. So I had a year of soul searching, like, oh, my God, what to do with the rest of my life? Yeah. <laughs> It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think we all go through it at some point. <laughs> yeah, crossroads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, going to beauty school. What happens after that? Like, what's your what's your mission? What are you thinking you're going to do with that? I'm the type of person that I will always go for the absolute top of whatever it is. So mm. when I, it was almost like the next day or. At orientation, actually. (laughs) Actually, it was orientation that I verbalized it Mm. in beauty school that I was here because the owner asked the students, what do you hope to do with this career? And I was the only person who said this, but my response was, I want to work in entertainment and fashion with celebrities. And film wasn't necessarily on the list because being from New Orleans, There wasn't a lot of films happening and I was always gravitating towards New York as a kid. Yeah. So for me, it was a natural course to go towards fashion as a hairstylist. So that was my wish list at the time. I always knew that I would leave a salon and be a freelance artist. Yeah. So once you finished school, did you stay in New Orleans and work in salon or? I did, but at the advice of one of my good friends who moved from New Orleans to D.C. and she was a singer and she still is. Hmm. She lives in D.C. and she came to me in beauty school to get her hair done. And I was telling her after I got my beauty license that I would move to New York yeah. and pursue my career. She, her reply was, why would you do that so soon? And for me, it was a natural course. And she gave me advice saying, if you go to New York now, you will be a small fish in a big pond and it will, it will really be a struggle for you because it's so competitive and you're right out of beauty school. Mm. So she said, it might be more lucrative for me to stay in New Orleans, sort of sharpen my claws, gain more experience, develop more of a resume, then move to New York. And that made sense to me. Mm. And it was the best decision I ever made, especially after moving to New York to see logistically what it takes to succeed here. Yeah. It was absolutely best for me to stay in New Orleans and just become a more seasoned hairstylist before attempting to master or to win this game in New York. Yeah. What awesome yeah. advice. Thank goodness she came to get her hair done, huh? I know. You know, well, sometimes <laughs> the universe sends us little messengers and you have to pay attention. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. And so when did the move to New York happen? It happened in 2001. I stayed in New Orleans. I graduated beauty school in like 94. And I got my first feature film in 96. Oh, wow. It was pretty fast. Like as advice of Yvette, who was who said, stay in New Orleans. I had a friend who was in production and she put my name on the list because they were looking for an African-American hairstylist for a film, which was Eve's Bayou. And they called me. And that was my first job. And I I started getting other jobs maybe once a year due to the contacts I made from Los Angeles on Ease Bayou. 
Okay. And I stayed in New Orleans until 2001 and made up my mind that it was time to move. So April 19th, 2001, I moved to New York. Like, dude, I'm so impressed with you remembering these dates. I barely remember how old I am. This is impressive. <laughs> I never forget that date because I had to pick one. Yeah. Because all my clients were like, well, when are you moving? And I was uh, like, I don't know. So I just, okay, clearly I just have to pick a date. It, yeah. it's, not, it's not like one of those things. You can't just gradually go. I have to like move out of apartment, get rid of furniture. So yeah, pick a date, stick with it, do it. Pick a date and stick <laughs> with it. And that's what I did. And that's why I remember it. And so with that first job, how much of that do you remember? Do you remember kind of turning up feeling completely lost or like, did you have any idea about how it worked behind the scenes on something like that? Oh my God, I remember everything. <laughs> uh, and it was all of that. I got hired to do background. It was the funeral scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there was only me as a hair person and one makeup person in background. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea anything about set etiquette. I didn't know anything about filming. Mm-hmm. So when I got there, I went to the trailer and the department head, who is Robert Louis Stevenson, mm-hmm. who is also has been my mentor throughout my entire career. That's awesome. Um, he, they, you know, he saw some talent in me and the, the actors kind of saw talent in me. So they took me under their wing for the, the film. But the way it went and I went to the trailer and he was telling me that the look was 1963, for example. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know 60s, but I don't know that the 60s broken down year by year as far as hairstyling. Yeah. So he told me to get some books uh, from reference books that he had in the trailer. I just took some photographic memory images mm-hmm. and went and completed that job, came back. And a PA, I'll never forget it, a PA came in and said, Miss Carol needs pens for her wig. I had no idea they were filming at the time. Diane Carroll was who they were talking about. Mm. And he said, can you get some pens and go help out Diane? So inside, I'm just spinning like I'm just like oh my god like I have to go <laughs> work with Diane Carroll and I'm I'm well aware of who is, who is Diane Carroll like I'm what 24 years old 25 years old mm-hmm. I have to walk onto set in the middle of this graveyard set mm-hmm. and literally the entire crew is at a standstill as you know if so if the if the lead actor needs her wig tightened you know no filming is happening everybody's waiting so i get there and everybody's looking at me i was a nervous wreck i didn't let him see me sweat nobody even knew i was a hairstylist even diane carol she saw me at breakfast Hmm. so when i went up to her i was like miss carol i'm here with the pens and she was like oh you're a hairstylist i saw you at breakfast i thought you were background i was like no i'm a hairstylist and i'm here to help you out she was like okay well i need a pen here and she sort of directed me i was so nervous you i mean it's really hard for me to explain how nervous i was no i think it's totally i think anyone that's been on set and i mean even now when set is waiting on you to do something it's horrible right oh my god but i did it and i I completed my task and walked away and I was like, oh my God, I almost felt like I needed a drink. It was so daunting. <laughs> I can breathe. I can breathe. 
<laughs> the whole crew. That's insane that that's your first experience on First set. experience. First day. Oh, oh my, my God. gosh. <laughs> but, you know, never let them see you sweat. And yeah. that was the beginning of the rest of my career, actually. That's awesome. I love it. So continuing getting more jobs in New Orleans? Yeah, just from that, it was a small connection from L.A. due to Robert Louis Stevenson, who was the department head. Mm. And unlike the next year, another gig came with HBO. I think the second one was A Lesson Before Dying with Cicely Tyson. Mm-hmm. And that department head was Stefan Deming who is also a mentor of mine because he was also a seasoned vet for me at the time. And he was one of those department heads that saw some talent in me and was willing to work with me and teach me everything I would need to know to continue on with my career. And I worked with him a couple of times. So I think I did about five jobs between Eve's Bayou and moving to New York. Yeah. And the last was the corner, but that was when I first traveled. I went to Baltimore okay. to do the corner with HBO. Awesome. And you didn't think at any point, like, did it get to that point where you were just like, actually, there's kind of a, a fair amount coming in through New Orleans. Maybe I'll just stay. Or were you just, you were dead set, I'm going to New York? I've been trying to move to New York since I was dancing. So mm. for me, New York was definitely in the cards. And also, Well, I just felt strategically New York was a better place for business. Also, socially, who I was as a person, I felt like I belonged in New York socially as well. And I remember having a serious aha moment. I heard one of the actors on the show refer to us as local crew. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like that. I didn't like being called local crew. So I knew that. That that made me want to leave even more because I wanted to be considered more of a, a global hairstylist right. or I wanted to be on equal playing field. And I noticed when the L.A. children is what I call it, come to town mm. to make a movie, it was a different group and very few people were in that group Yeah, from the local crew. Mm. And I didn't want to feel like that. So I wanted to feel like there were no barriers or there was no clicks. And we're talking the 90s here. You know, this was when Hollywood was really Hollywood. It wasn't like total inclusion. Yeah. So I knew that I had to change my zip. It was as basic as changing your zip code in order to be taken more seriously. Right. And how did you find that move to New York? Like once you arrived? The single most difficult thing. (laughs) Yeah? Yes. (laughs) Why? No one could have prepared me for what New York is. I am the polar opposite in a way, being from the South, being from New Orleans. I mean, the wildness we have in common, like New Orleans is Mardi Gras and, you know, I can hang in the streets. It's not a problem. But culturally, New York is very different. So I didn't really know all the deets. And even though I had a good friend here that I lived with, 
I don't think I was mentally prepared of, for what it takes to become a freelance artist, move oh. to a city like New York that's highly competitive, the most, one of the most in the world. Yeah. Uh, millions of people. And basically come here and try to convince people that I am valuable enough to pay me mm. for my craft mm-hmm. without a job in sight and sort of create my own lane is essentially what it's what I'm doing. Yeah. It wasn't like I came and applied for a job for ABC or NBC. It was like... How do you begin your own lane as a freelance artist in a city where people don't seem to want to give you five minutes of their time to even begin with, you know? Yeah. That's not easy at all. And especially this is pre-internet days, you know, when people ask me how to get in the business and they search in online, they're using Instagram, they're using YouTube. In my day, we had none of that. So it was all word of mouth and travel through the streets to try and navigate and put yourself in proper rooms Mm -hmm. in order to make proper connections and develop relationships. Yeah. So were you focusing mainly when you got there on getting into a salon or you you mainly wanted to get into entertainment? I was doing both. I knew that entertainment wasn't something that you could just do upon arrival, Mm. that it would take time. So the first goal was, how do I secure a steady income? Yeah. So I definitely got salon jobs, but salons in New York for me were very different. They were very specific in different ways. So I've tried the Dominican salon. I've tried the high-end Fifth Avenue salon. You know, you try to find the one that fits you best. Mm. And so I I jumped around, you know, I would quit a salon like in a week. I I would start and I'd be like, oh, this is so nice of me. I have to go. Yeah. (laughs) And good thing I had the support system where I could. I didn't have to pay rent and all that. So that was a luxury Mm. that I was afforded. But you know, it was basically that serious that I had to make a, an adult decision that this salon would not work for me. And, you know, I apologize for wasting people's time, but I, I just can't stay here. So I did that and got shows or films in between just due to, I just say it was universe, like it was meant to be. My phone just rang. Mm-hmm. And through relationships I developed on gigs in New Orleans, I got offers one by one here in New York City. And from each job, I developed another relationship that kind of remembered me for another one or I was referred. So once a year, I was getting a job here, a job there and struggling still, but managing to build the resume, which was the most important thing for the film part. I wasn't thinking about the money. Mm. I wasn't getting paid that much. I was already a union, but, you know, it was low budget jobs, but I started department heading when I came to New York. So in 2001 was my first department head gig. That's awesome. Did you do any stage work? No, I tried. I forgot which one it was. It was a 1930s play. It was early 2000s. I forget which one it was, but I didn't like the room. When I went to interview, I was in the room and I was, I said to myself, I could never work in this basement. (laughs) all day long, every day with these people just like milling at wigs. And and to me, it just seemed miserable. It just didn't fit my personality. So I had to make that decision like, okay, 
I don't think I'm Broadway. Mm. I did fashion. I didn't like, I thought the people in the fashion show world, I thought they were rude. Mm. So I was like, I'm not a fashion person. And that was the days where I was decided I'm a film guy. Yeah. I need to stick with film. That's my personality. And I was not wrong. Uh, I was absolutely correct in that decision. Yeah, that's good. It's good to figure it out. Even if it is just walking into a space and going, "Mm, no. (laughs) Yeah, especially if you know who you are. Like, I wasn't a kid. I was a grown-up. Like, I started it. I got in a union from New Orleans. I had experience. I knew what made me happy. Uh, I never had problems making those decisions and keeping my happiness intact. Yeah, absolutely. So just building contacts and everything in New York. And so you're saying that you're doing more head of department stuff. Is that on smaller jobs where you're possibly the only hairstylist or have just one person under you? Or like, how are you starting off? What, how big are these jobs? Yeah, they were low budget. So my first one was Monsters Ball and I did not have a key. Mm. Um, Hallie had her personal, which was Sterfan Deming, who hired me before on a few jobs in the night, a few jobs in the nineties. Nice. Um, and Billy Bob had his personal. So I did everyone else. Mm. And then the, another gig was the cookout with Queen Latifah and our flavor unit. Mm-hmm. I did have a key on that job, but I took a lot of the work on myself because at that point I wasn't really used to department heading. Mm. And so I just was kind of thinking all the responsibility fell to fell upon me mm-hmm. and I didn't really learn how to delegate mm-hmm. yet. So I felt like I was doing majority of the work just because like me not knowing how to delegate because I was thrust into department heading so fast. I didn't really learn a lot keying. I hadn't done that many jobs and I never really day played and I never worked background. I went from background to keying like what, what, four projects and then four or five projects and then department heading. So I still felt like I had a lot to learn. Yeah. Well, it's good that like, for instance, with Monsters Ball that you had a couple of personals there that if it's just like if you had any questions or like what should I do here at least there was someone to ask right especially because Sterfine was somebody I trusted and worked with Mm. even though he was playing his position in front of people I remember it being like a dynamic that he didn't really show too much friendship or too much help in public as to not make me look uh, incompetent. Right. So everything had to be like on the real low. Like no one had, no. I could never look like a beginner in front mm-hmm. of anybody outside the trailer. And I guess because they had recommended you for the job, right? Yeah, well, yeah. The people who recommended me were New Orleans crew ADs. Okay. I had already moved to New York. I went back to work. But the New Orleans people knew that I was fairly new, but Everyone from out of town, all the distant hires, no one really knew what level, you know, this was pre people checking IMDb. So everyone assumed if you're a department head, you were experienced. Yeah. So you can't like, you know, you can't let them see behind the curtain, so to speak. <laughs> 
Yeah, don't take it till you make it. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked for you. I feel like some people it doesn't work so well, but um <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you, you seem to be doing all right, Brian. So <laughs> <laughs> I had good I had great mentorship and great support systems, trust me. Yeah. Because if not, I would have fell on my face real fast. Yeah. So what is one piece of advice that you remember being given by your mentors that kind of really stuck with you in this line of work? I think for me, the big thing was my attitude slash personality. I wasn't really refined enough to be in management for like, you know, films and TV, like this is millions and billions of dollars. You know, it's almost, I had, I had managerial experience when I worked for hotels for a minute, mm. uh, you know, I never had a lot of experience with that. So I remember being pulled aside cause I had no edit buttons. Right. And I remember being pulled aside by certain actors and hair people, even some people that they played just to try to put me in check a little bit mm-hmm. about you know, behaving. Right. Because I was just too real. And, you know, being New Orleans, from New Orleans, we just don't put airs on. We just kind of say what we want to say unapologetically and not really hurting people's feelings. But it was almost like, even if you're not hurting people's feelings, just you have to edit what you say in this type of political world called filmmaking, you know, that I wasn't good at. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm it's still like I still learn like I've been in this business for over 20 years yeah. and I still am that person but I managed to forge a group of friends in the film business that speak the same language as I do and they get it and we respect each other I'm not I'm never disrespectful I'm always professional but I am very 100% who I am. I always live in my truth and I don't ever tr- stop being who I am just for work, you know? So it, it works for me. That's in carving my own lane, as I spoke about before, that I literally carved my own lane in my mind to get to where I am today. That's awesome. Do you remember how you felt when you were first kind of pulled aside and someone said that to you? Were you Did you take it kindly or were you just like, what? No. I took it kindly because I respected who who was talking to me because I valued their opinion. Nice. And it happened also in the hotel world Mm. when, again, I applied for a normal cashier position Mm. and they gave me the supervisor position. It was an F&B food and beverage cashier supervisor is the position I got. Yeah. And so that was the first, I was thrust into a management position. And I remember telling another manager something and my boss was like, you know, can I talk to you? you and just to let me know, you can say things, but it's the way you say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that started like at 24 years old. So apparently I always was a little like too open with saying what was on my mind, not being rude, but just being too, I don't know, what do you call it? Too honest? I guess. That's what some people <laughs> aren't, aren't into the direct um, communication. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, if you, if I respect you and if you, and this was younger, I'm, I'm much older now, but mm. when I was younger, if I respected you, of course I took it, I took it very seriously and, and tried to learn because I did want to grow. Yeah. 
I um I remember I was in my first salon and you know have you heard of the saying when someone has um resting bitch face? Mm-hmm. So I have resting bitch tone, I suppose. So the tone of my voice, like it was, it was the me answering the phone that my boss was just like, you. I think you have to smile, like literally smile when you answer the phone because you yeah. just sound angry. And I was like, what? Yeah. She's like, well, you sound either bored or angry. And she's like, and I know that you're not. Like what you're saying, like the words that you're saying are very friendly and nice. She's just like, but your tone is not. And I was just yeah. like, oh, my God, I can't believe I have to think about this. this is funny. I have to think about it. She's like, I think if you just, like, literally actually smile while you speak, it will sound completely different. And I was just like, okay. But just, you know, not something that I could hear or realize that I did at all. And I have heard myself say that <laughs> over the years to people, don't listen to how I'm saying it is what I'm saying. <laughs> Because I'm just like, I really have to edit my tone. And some people won't really take the time out to decipher if you're actually in that mood or not. They will just take the tone and run with it and think you're like a rude person. (laughs) Yeah. And you could be telling them that they are the most wonderful person on the planet, Mm -hmm. but you're using the wrong tone and they're just like, what a bitch. (laughs) I was in an interview once for a show and told the producers, don't hire me if you want a yes man. Mm. I was like, don't hire me if you want me to like act like I'm busy when I'm not. Like, I'm not that person. If you want a creative person who's here to execute the looks for the character, creative, but whatever I said, Mm. hire me. But I do not play games. I'm not going to be another person for a gig. And they looked like me. They were all shocked. (laughs) I got the job. But they were divided. Yeah. You know, one or two thought I was a loose cannon and the other two were like, yeah, we want an artist. We don't want a technician that'll come in here and just do whatever we say. Mm. So I ended up getting the job and everybody liked me at the end. And actually at the rap party came to me and was like, you know what? I was so nervous at first because when you came in for the interview, <laughs> and I, I had just been through so much in New York. I was just like, look, I cannot fake this. Here's the deal. And I, you know, so they gave me a chance and it turned out to be right. So we worked it out. That's awesome. So what advice would you give someone looking to get into this line of work or someone that has kind of started on their journey, but is maybe struggling or. I think my main advice for people is how important it is to develop relationships. Mm -hmm. I think the film industry is so small. So many people know each other and are connected and now even globally. Mm. I think developing relationships is super important. I know I've watched a lot of people come to set and come to work and they don't really learn people's names. They, they, they don't really, they only stay in their little world and they don't branch out. And like naturally, I'm the type of person to just meet everyone. And so therefore, looking back, I feel like a lot of times all the opportunities that came my way was simply because I said hello at the craft service table. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really real. And I don't think people understand that. And also for hairstylists, I like to give people advice that you should learn absolutely everything about hair. Mm. Don't limit yourself to, oh, this is my favorite or this is what I like to do. And I don't think that 
better serves you in the film industry because scripts come in many shapes and sizes mm. and full of different characters. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to limit yourself by only doing one thing you like necessarily. You know, you don't know when learning a certain technique or a certain something else might come in handy when another job comes across your desk. Yeah. I applied that to the salon world and mm. my clients were very diverse. Like yeah. from, I was doing the old lady tees mm. to like fading barber doing flat tops, like period style flat tops to like what I call the hood girl hairstyle, crispy, like freeze curls. Like I always liked just doing everything. So, and that was natural for me, but I definitely, as I say, I can look back now and give you an examples of so many different types of shows I've done because I was able to execute that particular look for these particular characters. And had I not been well-versed in hair to do everything, I would not have been eligible for those jobs. Yeah. So what is something, I mean, it sounds like you love to continue your education and learning and everything. So what is something that you learned recently that's new? I mean, for me, it's always every job. I'm always learning something because you know how it is when you do a new show, even if you're well-versed with wigs, let's say. Mm-hmm. But the the job that I'm currently on, mm-hmm. there's a moment where I had to go up against the studio heads where they do not like wigs at all. Yeah, They just think all wigs look fake. Mm-hmm. So I had to take a John Blake wig and make it look 100% believable. But it was, to me, learning, and I've made John Blake wigs look great a bunch of times. You know, it's nothing Mm -hmm. new. But this one was a little different, and I literally had to pull out every trick in the book and try new ones on top of that just to sell this hair to these studio heads who hate wigs. Mm -hmm. So I feel like Pushing yourself above and beyond what you're comfortable with is essentially learning a technique. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And I mean, it's it's something, as you say, you are learning all the time. And whether it's just through learning, through trying different techniques and trying little tricks and stuff to get the end result that you're after and you stumble yes. upon how to do something, you're like, oh, shit, that works. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's definitely part of it. You just, I guess you just can't be scared to just try something. Yeah, because it's a new head. The actor is a new head shape, a new head size, new body size, new hair of on her head. How do I get rid of all of her hair to make sure nothing affects the volume of this wig? Mm. Like not even for a centimeter can this wig look too voluminous. Mm. You know, it was a modern look, so it wasn't like a period look that we can use as a crutch to hide things because period hair is so voluminous. You don't really have to do, you can like be lazier with a wig wrap, for example, because it will never really show. And so for this particular look, there was no room for error because everything would have been revealed and we did not have two chances. It was one chance that would have been X'd out the whole show and we would have been left with a normal hairstyle. And that was not what neither of us wanted. Even in-house producers 
and actors who are also working with us who were like campaigning for this new look because they loved it. Yeah. So it was almost like we had we had one chance to prove ourselves. And I mean, this is like a whole new thing. I felt like a, a newbie trying to make sure this is it wasn't I couldn't be comfortable at all. Like my, my years in this business had nothing to do with this. No, I think it, trying to change somebody's comfort levels with wigs as well as if, if directors or producers have had bad experience after bad experience, it's hard to turn that back around. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like doing the wig for the first time. Like there's no level of experience mm. that can make these people. If you're like anti wigs, mm. there's almost like no level of experience that can make them feel comfortable. Mm to accept this wig on camera. I see it all the time in film. Like, it's a very well-done wig, but I know it's a wig. Mm. It's the most well-applicated wig you could ever imagine, but I can see the things that make me know it's a wig. Mm. So how do you make my eyes feel like, I don't know if that's a wig or not? Yeah, we are the harshest judge. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's the way I feel when I'm trying to convince anti wig people that mm. this is real hair and this is workable. Well, the thing as well is just like, yeah, they have watched things and like, even if it's not their own personal experiences of what they've produced or what they've directed, having seen stuff, but it might just be their, them as a viewer having watched different television and film and yeah like a bad wig's gonna jump out at you but i'm sure they would have seen plenty of wigs that they had no idea were wigs right do you know what i mean oh, of course. like it's just like yeah but what about all the ones that you didn't spot <laughs> right because you didn't know because it was yeah done. yeah <laughs> it's like don't forget about those <laughs> <laughs> and nobody told you because a lot yeah. of times if you tell them they are they now have a mental block they're like mm. this is a wig mm. and they're gonna not like it even though it is jump well. yeah <laughs> that's awesome so throughout your resume so far what would you and this is like me asking you to choose your favorite children but what are your top three favorite projects that you've worked on and why oh yeah that's a hard one but <laughs> I think Girls Trip is a top three Mm -hmm. because we had so much fun. Well, there you go. I mean, we (laughs) shot in New Orleans and it was all New Orleans Central. Um, The cast was fun and colorful. All the different hair looks, the, the scenes, the sets. We were shooting at Essence Music Festival while it was actually going on. Oh, that's cool. You know, it was just never a dull moment. We, you, the, the entire hair and makeup department, it was the largest hair and makeup department I ever worked with. Mm. Um, so, because there was a lot, there was personals as well as keys and thirds. Um, I did hire a barber, so there was a barber energy. And every day was just like a big old party. Like every single day we had a great time. That's awesome. Another one I think is Lovecraft Country. Brian, let me stop you. I loved that show so much and Um, devastated that that did not keep going. Yeah, we all are. 
I just, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. (laughs) My husband and I were just like, when we found out there wasn't another season happening, we were just like, no, you cannot take this away from us. We are gagged. I couldn't believe it. Such a good show. It was super fun to work on. It was so creative. Mm. I like working in Atlanta as well. It's a lot of fun. Lovecraft was super creative. It just has so many elements that made it fun for me as a hair designer. And that one was big on the design element. You know, some shows you just blow drying hair. Mm. But Lovecraft was was really hair design. So that was a lot of fun to test my limits creatively. And especially when the script was one of those mysterious scripts where you're reading it, but you have no idea what's happening. Right. So, <laughs> so because there was so many layers, so you just had to prepare yourself for whatever happened. And, and that was a whole different way of going about stocking wigs and everything, because I just had no idea what you it was no way for me to do all this in advance there was no my i would have needed six months prep you know and they would have had to have every actor casted and every every script would have had to be completed yeah but i didn't have that luxury so that definitely tested my like johnny on the spot creativeness so that was fun that's awesome and uh, i feel like i liked white boy rick a lot Oh, yeah. That was super fun. It was 80s. I was in my first full 80s film, uh, 80s period, which I love the 80s as far as hair. It's one of my favorite periods, 80s or 70s. Yeah. Where did Um, you shoot that? We shot that in Cleveland. Nice. Which turned out to be a lot of fun. You know, the whole crew was a party crew. The Cavs were in the playoffs and LeBron was still playing. <laughs> Cleveland turned out to be a very fun city. Who knew? I would, <laughs> I would have never put my head on a chopping block that Cleveland would have been that fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. The crew was great. I love Matthew McConaughey. So to work with him mm. was a was definitely a career high because I've always respected him as an actor and I thought he was bringing a personal mm. and he did it. And I gagged. I was like, oh my God, I get to work <laughs> with nothing. <with> that. <laughs> so that was a bit of a like fangirl moment, you know? So that, that was a good one. It's such a great look too, that film. Just the, the rawness of it, like the, the yeah. grit. It's yeah. I like it. I like, I agree. I did like, the, especially the whole filming of it too. The fact that it was done on film, the grit, it just, it looked really period. And I, I was very happy with it. Yeah. That's awesome. So looking back, do you, I mean, did you have an idea of what you thought working in the film industry would be like? Is it what you thought it would be? No, because it wasn't well known back when I started. It was a mystery. I had no idea what to expect. I never thought about character development. I never thought about telling stories in that detail through hair art or just hair in general. Yeah. Well, it was all like a day by day learning experience, but I loved it from the first day. I was I was bitten by the bug immediately. <laughs> it wouldn't take long to me. So, what do you enjoy most about it? the The fact that every job is a like a whole new job in a whole new world. Yeah, it seems like it could be daunting because it's almost like I'm unemployed. I have to go get another job like yeah. every single time throughout your whole life. Yeah, <laughs> but that became that became normal to me. Yeah, and. Uh, I like that. Like, I like the fact that I get to meet 
so many different people from all over the world and go to locations that most people will never get the, the pleasure of seeing. Like the film industry has taken me places that I would have never gone yeah. in my life. So to me, it helps me grow. It educates me. I love travel. So part of my goal in working in this business was to travel. Moving to New York was just a stepping stone. Mm-hmm. I knew that I didn't want to work in New York only. Like I wanted to work over the whole world and I'm still working on that. I've yet to work in Europe. So that day is going to come as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it will. <laughs> yeah. So just just all the components about the, the spontaneity of film and sort of like being in a circus where you pick up and go to another location and start all over again. Yeah. I think you, you have to be fond of that feeling. Like you can't, I think having structure is something that if you need oh, yeah. stability and structure, then maybe it's not the... <laughs> Not the line of work for you, unless you end up on a long running, like, I don't know, if you're working on the news or something, I I don't know, that would would seem like that would give you structure. But yeah, so oh, what I would love to know, because you've told me what you love, I'd love to know what you find to be challenging. Like what do do you find most challenging about what we do? Um, Working in the jungle. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a location that you're talking about? Yeah. Not saying metaphorically a jungle. No, <laughs> you mean literally, literally a jungle? Literally. <laughs> putting my life at risk <laughs> working oh, in the jungle. The goddamn jungle. I hate it. <laughs> I don't like bugs. I don't like snakes. <laughs> you know. And sometimes I'm like, what the hell? Who who whose idea was this? Yeah. Like why? How did I end up here? Yeah. Like, we could have done this in the back of a lot behind a mall. Like, why do we need to go in the middle of this jungle? And, you know, I'm having, like, mental breakdowns in my head, but I'm walking around like, oh, this is so much fun. Like, I hate never minute of it. <laughs> I, yeah. what, what did you work in the jungle? What was that for? Well, I mean, I've done a few Civil War periods. So, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And even on True Detective, there was a scene... When Mahershala is talking to the cop guy, I forget his name, Mm. and they met in the woods. But when we actually shot that, we were in the Ozark Mountains. Right. And we drove to the forest in the mountains, set up a base camp, but then had another smaller camp deeper in the woods that you could only access by gator. Right. So it's beautiful. Yeah, but like I like to look at it. I don't want to be in it. Was, uh, and you feel privileged to see it because this is uh, this is like char- uncharted land or private property yeah. where I can just drive up as a tourist and come here. Yeah. But it's still the raw jungle, the raw forest, the raw woods, and it mm. is very dangerous. And yeah. I, there's been times when I'm walking around and then it just hits me like, wait, a cougar could come out right now and like try to kill me. <laughs> and I'm sitting out there. Like, I've literally had those aha moments. Like, let me go back to the group because I've walked off and not realizing that I'm unprotected. You know, so it is. I don't want the speech at my funeral to be how I shouldn't have left the group. Oh my God. (laughs) And that's when you know if you really can make it in this business, if you do those. Like, when I look at movies done in the Congo and stuff, I don't think I could actually do that. I think. I think I, that would be a real moment for me to to sit down and 
before I accept a job and just be like, look, can you really handle that? Yeah, I mean, you have to know your limits because you don't want to end up in the middle of it miserable going, what the fuck am I doing? (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's pretty much my main. And I don't like boats. So I have done a few yacht scenes and I was on like when we did White Boy Rick, I think that scene was cut out, but I don't remember. But they were on a yacht negotiating that day. I, um, I was about to have a full breakdown. Like I was on that yacht for like six hours, right. back and forth up the coast of Miami, choppy waters, insane. I was like, I've got to get off this boat like now. And Matthew was getting off the boat to go back for something. And they were going to continue filming. And it, I literally went to the AD and was like, I cannot be on this boat anymore. I have to go. Like, I'm losing it. And I didn't even, like, give Matthew an option to tell me no. Like, his number one on the call sheet. And I'm like, I'm coming with you. I'm getting off this boat. And I'm going back to show her hair is fine. Everybody take care of y'all. I literally left and couldn't take it. And I just was like, hair is fine. Yeah. And there was no representation. I didn't feel safe and I just was feeling like I couldn't take it. Like I'm not a boat person. No, I don't like boats in my personal life. Yeah. And that was the only, the most time I've been on a boat. We did it for the underground, but it was a swamp. So it was a little different. It was like a river and it was peaceful and mm. we kind of was just chilling and they were filming from, they were filming on another boat, but we couldn't do last looks. Yeah. So everybody on the follow boat was kind of just like, Chilling like we was on vacation. Yeah, and you're not out in the wild ocean. Yeah, but the ocean <laughs> is too much. So, yeah. <laughs> so we did. I just did the changeling. There were scenes that we had to do at night mm. on the East River, and I told them straight up, I can't go on the boat. Yeah. So we booked a hair person who loved boating, and she's been boating her whole life, mm. and she worked all the nights we had to shoot on the water. And me and my key would rap because they were not coming back to dock. They were going to film and just rap. Yeah. So she went out on the boat, but she loves it. And I, w- I said to myself, there's no amount of money you could pay me to ride around in the East River at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> not hey, it's, it's good to know these things, though, to know your limits and be able to plan accordingly. So, yeah. Yeah, it's better for production because if I go out there, I'm going to be a liability. I might get sick or something. I do have some limits. I'm really tough for the business, but I can handle the jungle. That's psychological. But boats for me is like a real no-no. So I I don't think I could do a a film with a lot of boat. Noted. (laughs) But still offer. You never know. I might... You know how it is. You never want to say no to anything. Just just run it across my desk first. Yeah. Let me just... You're like, if it's boats and it's a green screen, sure. Right. Because <laughs> I was well in New Zealand. I, I was worried about that, but they said it was mostly green screen. <laughs> there you go. Um, Easy. The, like, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would turn down Pirates of the Caribbean because of boats. Like, I'm, I'll figure it out. Listen, I worked on the last one, and the amount of actual ocean work, I think we did, I don't know, it was only like two days. So, right. you know, <laughs> did y'all go way, did y'all go far out and was it like, it was far yeah. out. Yeah. But it also Ooh. like I, cause I will randomly get motion sickness. Like one time I'll be totally fine. And then the next I'll be like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. So I, w- I took like sea legs or whatever was available before we mm-hmm. even went out. And I remember, <laughs> 
because these these drugs affect people differently. So I mm-hmm. just remember going. It's just like okay, we're getting ready to go, get on the boat, um, and it was. I think they had like a bunch of barges that were kind of tied together out in the middle of God knows nowhere. But I remember going to the to the restrooms, like to the porta potty things beforehand, and there was some kind of full on dance music happening in there, and I was just like oh my God, I feel fucking high right now. Like whatever that sea legs <laughs> pills I just took, I'm like in there like, dan, da, 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 da. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> but oh then, God. I don't know, like about three hours later, I was like on the nod and super tired because they made me drowsy. So I was just like, oh my God, you can't win. It's just like either. Like you crashed. Yeah. So it's either like I'm getting buzzed and weirded out by these seasickness pills or I have to you know, maybe get seasick. So it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was all fine. It all turned out fine. But wow. it was still it was just like, like <laughs> yeah, but it was um, people, even on the pirate ships that were on the gimbals that would move, um, some people got motion sickness from those. And that's what not even on the water at all. It's just has the motion like it's on the water. So and see, know. for me, I've never became motion sickness. Mm. I have started feeling trapped and yeah, like in danger if the mm. boat capsizes and sharks and yeah it's, <laughs> it's the ocean it's, it's terrifying <laughs> oh it's just a lot like i don't do party boats i don't do yachts and yeah. everybody knows and my friends like oh we go rent a boat i'm like okay i'll stay on the dock <laughs> <laughs> away from the shore <laughs> I'll, I'll be at the restaurant having a cocktail yeah, you can facetime me <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome so when you're prepping for a job or just trying to find like research and inspiration and stuff where what are your favorite what are your favorite sources well oddly like for period hair i don't have cable i stream everything right so mm-hmm. i have an antenna on my tv that gets local channels mm-hmm. and there's a lot of stations that play all old movies nice from every period starting from the 30s. Mm-hmm. I sit down, sometimes I watch that channel like all day and I'll just soak up mentally all these different hairstyles and nuance, the nuances between the 30s and the 20s or the 30s and the 40s, mm-hmm. like on an authentic level because in those days, you know, people were styling hair the way it was styled. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's a huge thing. I like to go to actual TV shows from the period. I watch game shows from the period. Like oh, the nice. 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will turn on some 70s game shows and just look at real people. I'll compare the, the celebrities hair in the, the game show as mm. opposed to the contestant. Yeah, yeah. Who is probably like a postman or a postwoman. Or, and I'll do that. I know we do the the normal thing like search through the internet, but I just feel like the internet force feeds you things mm. and they feed you modern versions of period. Yeah. And, and in many instances, if it's just, if it's really serious, I will still go to the library mm. and look for old books with pictures, archives mm. of news and magazines about real people. Yeah. And things like that. That's awesome. Um, those are my favorites. I think now too, there's this dodgy thing with well, 
dodgy and then not so dodgy. But the whole AI side of stuff, because the last thing I did was an 80s job. We were doing like a club scene where it was like the one time we were going to get to go like 80s crazy with hair. And I was putting together reference research stuff for our background artists. And of course, I always go to my books, like my physical books and everything first. Mm. And then, of course, like screenshots of, as you say, like TV shows or films or whatever, whatever. And then I started looking on Instagram because there were some certain, I don't know, there was just like certain shapes and things that I had in my mind, but, and I knew that they existed, but I couldn't Mm -hmm. find what I was looking for, like decent photos of them. And I started searching AI 80s. And the shit that was coming up, I was just like, far out. This is pretty amazing. Was it authentic? You could tell that it was too polished. Like the the makeup and everything to me didn't, and what they were wearing was a little too, I guess, kind of had a contemporary gloss to it, I suppose. But Uh the shape and texture of the hair was pretty good. Um, And I think I only grabbed like three or four images in that but when I put it in the mix of everything else it's not like you could even tell and I remember going into work and saying to my team it's just like guys there's like three or four AI pictures in there and they were like what and I was like yeah (laughs) so it's not I'm not saying that everything you find you you have to have an idea or like a, a strong knowledge of the period I think yeah. Before just like grabbing any old thing offline, because as you were saying, it can be a contemporary thing to kind of look look like it. But that's a that can be, I guess, a cautionary tale that if you don't know the period, you could think that it because this AI stuff's getting so good that you could think that it is actually something from history. Oh. <laughs> Well, I've seen the ones you talked about. I saw some 80s ones, like it was for the Players Ball. And they have all AI photos going around, and they were absolutely gorgeous. And Mm. they were from the 70s, 80s. And they looked really well done and authentic. But I knew it was AI because it was just too pretty and too perfect. Yeah. And the hands are weird. There's always weird things going on with the hands. (laughs) The eyes were weird, too. Yeah. But yeah, but for me, texture is important. I yeah. find modern, I know that period hair texture is a certain thing. And when it's done modern, the texture changes. Mm. And that's to, that to me is the day giveaway of what is really period and what is done now. Yeah, that makes sense. And what kind of project have you not worked on that you would like to? I want to do sci-fi. <laughs> You're just like straight in there. I want to do sci-fi. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to do another fifth element. I want to do a Star Wars or a Star Trek, something, something that I could really just do a lot of creative, original stuff, people from other worlds, something that would incorporate fashion too mm-hmm. like not so much monster or ugly but beauty and out of this world type of thing cool but definitely sci-fi like yeah. that to me is what i'm waiting for i'm putting it out there i hope it comes i know i feel like it will yeah so it's just a matter of time but mm. i think that's one of those ones where 
all what I'm going through now is preparing me because I think when you do a sci-fi film, it's a different rule set. You don't have anything to reference from. Mm. You have to do everything from scratch. Mm. And you, I think you need to really be prepared for that. So you need to, you know, constructing new wigs. It's not like I can just go buy a wig. Even if I get, if I had the luxury of every wig being custom, mm. you literally have to design the end product, you know, yeah. to the point where you got to take it to another level. It's not just like, oh, I'm going to do another 50s show yeah. or another 70s thing. This mm. is like, how do you get a wig to make it look like this person is from another planet that we've never heard of? Mm. And she's going to be wearing something that I haven't even seen yet because costumes is constructing something that's out of this world with latex or whatever. Mm. To me, that would be the ultimate challenge. Be awesome. <laughs> I look yeah. forward to seeing it when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we work. Look, I hope we work in, I hope it's in Australia or New Zealand. <laughs> And I'm like, we'll have all the fun. <laughs> so do you remember a film that you watched in the past and just been blown away by the hair and all the makeup? Yeah, there are two. Mm. Mary, Queen of Scots and The Great Gatsby. Which Great Gatsby? The one with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I loved the hair in that one. I, I just, I was watching it saying, okay, what was... Because yeah, everything was so stylized and so well done. Mm. I just was like, well, how long did they give them to do all the background? I was looking at background. It was almost like nobody could be cheated. Yeah. You know, and Mary's Queen of Scots was one of those films that I just couldn't imagine how those wigs were even constructed at the time. Yeah. You know, that was years ago. Mm. I learned a lot working in New Zealand because we did that pirate show, mm. um, Our Flag Means Death. Yeah. And I, for the first time, built hair on cages. I'd never done that in my career. I'd done certain periods like Victorian or whichever, not saying it was exactly Victorian, mm. but I had built hair, but I've done it with hair. Yeah. I've never worked with cages and seen all these other tricks that people from other countries do that aren't so prevalent here, or maybe in Broadway they do it. Yeah, I think it's more of a Broadway thing. I don't feel like a lot of films or television set in those periods are shot in the States. Yeah. It's very England, Europe. Yeah. yeah. And Bridgerton, Bridgerton to me, mm. when I saw the hair in Bridgerton, I remember seeing the first episode. I was like, okay, they're going to win the Emmy no matter what. Like, there's <laughs> no show. I think Lovecraft was, was we submitted that same year, I want to say. Mm. Or it was the next year. But I was like, well, nobody will ever beat Bridgerton. Like, that is... That hair in Bridgerton was amazing. It was, so it was stuff I've never seen before. I couldn't imagine how they constructed it. And I went to the guy, the department head who, you know, God rest his soul. Mm. I went to his Instagram to look, to yeah. see what, and just the straw sets and all these things. I had never seen that before. So for me, that's stuff I hadn't learned yet. Yeah, that's pretty exciting when you come across that stuff. Yeah, and it's, it's really the utmost in creativity and construction. So mm. as a hairstylist, I, I don't get to work on that. So to me, that's a whole nother world I've yet to explore. 
And the closest I've gotten to it is our flag man's death in New Zealand and yeah. working under those seasoned vets. So I just feel like the work ethics across the board in New Zealand and Australia was very top tier. Mm. I was very impressed with the way they work in general as teams and what the rules are, how different it is from America. So I learned a lot just sitting back watching people and it was it was really amazing. That's awesome. So Brian, if I had you set up at your station, you had your whole kit set up, what would you not want me to come in and take away? What tool or product would you not want to be without? My pomade. <laughs> <laughs> what is your pomade? Do you have a favorite? My Lenore Grail, um, the bone day. What is it called? I always forget the name <laughs> of it. I, I use it all the time. It's the bone de rose. Is okay. it called? I have no idea. It's a little white jar. It's by yeah. Lenore Grail. And I use it all the time. It's always in my kit. I use it for last looks. You know, I, I get flyaways away. I use it on guys. I use it on women. I use it on wigs. I use it on natural hair. It is the one product that is top of my list to buy. And, you know, this is painful, but my three inch hairpins from friends the matte ones in the clear box that they discontinued and they've changed it and i had a few boxes left and i'm still not over it i'm very upset about this <laughs> well uh, have you asked them why did they discontinue did the I company did, I actually think I, I think they're really hard to make or something but oh. i'm still struggling with the idea that those pins have changed oh. and those pins to me are the secret weapon of almost everything. Like I use them on short hair. I I have so many tricks that I do with those three inch pins and I've kind of banned the small pins. It's a joke in my trailer. I'm just like, okay, no small pins. These don't hold. (laughs) Like they're going to fall out like the three inch. But but most people feel like you only use the three inch for like, I don't know. They just seem to not go to the three inch pins. Like they need to hide it. The pin needs to be small. But there's ways to hide a three-inch pen, mm. but it holds. And for, like, period shows and things with action, like, those pens will stay in forever. You won't ever have to worry about losing a pen. Right. So you can probably use one three-inch pen instead of, like, five smaller ones. Yes. Right. Well, yeah, it absolutely works. And and people do see what I'm, I mean when I show them the difference. Mm-hmm. Because the short pens just kind of sit there. They yeah. don't really go to the root. You need to get in there and really secure that so that this will not ever come loose because that's the last thing I'll ever want to see is something falling apart on camera. Yeah. A hairpin has a purpose. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's my two go-tos. Like I am, and then I'm crazy about a certain flat iron because I work with so many different textures and there have been moments I didn't have my babyless flat iron like everybody in the trailer was letting me use their flat iron and none of them was good enough. <laughs> I was like, I can't survive without this flat iron. <laughs> Which so, one is it? Is it the blue one? The blue one. Yeah. It's, it To me, it's the only one that can go from Afro mm. hair to like soft, fine hair. Like I can do every texture 
And that's what I really need because I do so many different textures on a regular basis. I can't have a flat iron that stops working on certain hair at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my go-to is right there. Everything else I can make work. I can go to Sally's in any country, any city or whatever and get stuff to tie me over. Yeah. But I kind of need those three. Fair enough. I love it. And what one person would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> you know who I love and I always respect her work? Mm. Michelle Johnson. Has she been on? No. I think Michelle Johnson is a genius. Okay. And I love her work ethics and I love her creativity. So she's taught me a few things. Just a few times I've worked with her tricks when I was coming up. Yeah. And her body of work is amazing. I think she's great. So that would be mine. Where is Michelle based? She's in New York. New York, yep. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's going to run up a minute and she's good. <laughs> I love it. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me. This has been awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm flattered and it's an honor to be a part of your show. Of course. Okay, Last Looks crew, thanks for listening. And remember, if you love it, share it a quick scroll down and you'll find our show notes or maybe you'd like to give your support and leave a five-star review come on i know you want to search the last dogs podcast on instagram facebook or tiktok whichever one tickles you fancy and a massive shout out to the husband brett stanley without his patience and tech support this whole podcast situation simply does not happen and cheers to liliana rose for her fabulous voice acting talents Okay, Last Looks crew, that's a wrap for me. I don't need to be told twice to get out of here. So bye. I'll catch you on the flip side. That's a wrap, people.